0: Hello and welcome to the Medjly's podcast, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjly's and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Turkey has noticeably been strengthening its ties with Central Asia in recent years, and the process was especially noticeable in 2022. Russia's historic role in Central Asia is changing due to the Kremlin's preoccupations with the war in Ukraine, and Turkey is using its own historic ties to Central Asia to deepen its partnerships there in terms of trade and security. At the same time, Turkey's aspirations are opening new opportunities for the Central Asian states. As existing routes between China and Europe that pass through Turkey expand, and new trade corridors are being created. What is the state of Turkish-Central Asia relations right now, and where is the relationship headed? To discuss all this, I am joined by Asel Tutumlu, a lecturer at the Department of International Relations and Political Science at the Near East University in Nicosia, and Mukhtar Singirbay, managing editor at RFARL's Kazakh service, known locally as Azatik. Thank you both for joining me. Uh, Asel, I'm going to start with you. Could you kind of give us an idea of, of how... Turkish Central Asian relations have progressed this year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a it's a stark difference, actually. Uh, particularly um, since the independence, even though Turkey was the first country that recognized Central Asian states, and nonetheless, the relations were relatively they 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 I wouldn't say they were stalled stalled, but nonetheless, um, they were not a priority for many of the Central Asian states. Turkey was not necessarily the, the uh, country with the um, largest investments. Turkey was not uh, a country uh, with, of the export, largest exports. And overall, politically as well, uh, Turkey was not necessarily a priority, uh, simply because, again, although in the 1990s, Turkey introduced... Uh, or we should say Türkiye, probably. Turkey, probably uh, Turkey introduced this idea of a brotherhood and uh, Turkic uh, nations and introduced some of the uh, political forum uh, forums, but nonetheless, it was not necessarily seen, or, or see, seen as a priority by Central Asian sta- states and governments. Uh, on top of that, uh, Turkey actually had uh, conflicts with uh, Uzbekistan because it hosted some of its opposition and uh, the um, uh, relations between two countries were not necessarily good. However, with the uh, Putin's war in Ukraine, we have seen a very strong change and shift. Uh, and that shift has been uh, so fast <laughs> that it's actually very surprising. Uh, particularly, the shift can be noted in the revival of various organizations that acquired not only its formal status, uh, such as, for example, the Organization of Turkic States, but also in the... Uh, in opportunities that Turkey offered, concerning logistics, concerning uh, supply chains, uh, concerning exit to the international markets uh, to Central Asian uh, states, together with or engaging, let's say, in various uh, diplomatic, uh, diplomat engaging different uh, uh, actors along the route, so to say, in, in a relatively successful diplom- the, uh, diplomatic stance. On top of this, of, on top of this, uh, Turkey was also able to. Navigate between Russia and the West. Um, it was also able to uh, secure uh, several important positions uh, relating to the export of grain, for example, uh, both Ukrainian and Russian grain, uh, as well as the fertilizers through the Black Sea. So, yes, it's been a very interesting and very dynamic year <laughs> for Re- Recep Tayyip Erdogan.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mukhtar. Kazakhstan is probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of, of, you know, Turkey's reinvigorated um, moves and and engagement with Central Asia um, in terms of transport routes and and in terms of security. Can you talk a little bit about how Kazakh-Turkish relations have developed? And 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 before I let you uh, say anything, I should also note that the Kazakh president uh, Takayev visited Turkey and Turkish president Erdogan actually visited Kazakhstan. So this is a sign of how, how improved relations are between the two countries. But, but how, how, is it, how are things changing in Kazakh-Turkish ties?
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, talking from the Kazakh perspective, it's changed rapidly within several months. If you can remember the January events in Kazakhstan in January, there was a big criticism about Turkey's role. I mean, when Tokayev invited uh, CSTO, so Russian-led uh, military organization, to help with the coup, if we can say it's an attempt of coup. So, and there was there were ana- 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 analysts saying that uh, why why Russia, why not other countries like Turkey and others? It was. Uh, the this kind of uh, idea among the population yeah, yeah. as well so and it changed after the war in ukraine when it started as you say, as, as you already mentioned there there is a vacuum in central asia a vacuum of superpowers and uh, the people especially the ordinary people who look for somebody who is outside who is our brother who is our relative can help us, can save us from these giant superpowers surrounding us. And Turkey was the one who uh, right there and uh, to to do that. And we see it from different uh, sides, as you already mentioned. It's not only economic, but yeah, for now we, we see economic side more than the others, but the side of uh, men- mental closeness, this uh, brotherhood. It's uh, more visible than the other sides. I mean, in terms of, uh, if you can remember this symbolic uh, photo of Erdogan receiving a map of uh, this big Turkic world. And this was hugely discussed in Kazakh uh, media, Kazakh social media, saying that. So we are again regaining this Turkic world. And it was thanks to this war in Ukraine.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, let me follow up a little bit here uh, with just one more question real quick. How, how much is, is the Organization of Turkic States actually being talked about? Because, of course, this organization has existed for really almost 30 years under different names. The partners have kind of changed back and forth. But uh, is, is, the, organi- is uh, the Organization of Turkic States actually like a, a much bigger topic now than it uh, previously was in Kazakhstan?
2: Uh, I would not say that is a big topic it, it comes up it it, uh, it starts comes up to the agenda of the news uh, news agencies and news media only when something happens around it I remember when the name was changed there was a big discussion about so it became an organization like 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 a European Union or something like that that can be become a political like powerful, uh, organization that was a discussion that time but of course uh, it, it depends on the triggers if some triggering action something happens so we immediately start looking for for this kind of uh, savior let's say or brother and it was discussed uh, surprisingly during the uh, it was uh, right before the 2022 when when there was a war. Uh, in Nagorno-Karabakh, so it, when it happened in the war in Nagorno-Karabakh and the uh, Azerbaijan became a winner, that was that was one of the moments when uh, these uh, Turkic uh, identity discussions came up, and I remember the people started to draw a map saying that now Turkic world in Asia in Caucasus connected with uh, our brothers in Turkey, geographically, we, we can say that we are together. This kind of, yeah, it comes up from time to time, when especially when during the visits of uh, presidents, during this kind of big statements. I remember when there was a statement uh, from China, Saying that uh, they will be protecting the territorial integrity of Kazakhstan, that was a big surprise, and the same was with the Turkey. So, it's always, uh, Kazakh society, is looking for something, some very big, powerful protection that protects us from Russia. So, and and Turkey considers one of the most reliable.
1: Bruce, can I just uh, can I just follow up on this?
2: Yes, please do.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to give you an anecdotal evidence about this identity discussion. Um, I think both, uh, I, I think in Turkey, the majority of actors uh, are very much attached to their homeland, to the Altai Mountains, uh, to Huns and uh, Turks and uh, um, all this authentic, so to say, uh, lands of forefathers and languages. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they are not necessarily aware what exactly uh, Central Asians uh, look like. And I have been asked multiple times walking on the streets of, uh, I don't know, Istanbul, Izmir, uh, been asked, for example, uh, things like, uh, are you Chinese or are you Japanese? Um, and so even though, and, and it's interesting because uh, they look at me from the perspective of exotic person. Being someone that has, you know, uh, smaller eyes, for example, but when I say that I'm from Kazakhstan, then the situation immediately changes, and it and they actually immediately say, "Wow, you are Kardashian," and Kardashian is actually a sister, uh, and so it, it's a it, it's a very interesting idea. I think um, I, I agree with Mukhtar that uh, the idea of pan Turkism in general is a kind of a shared uh, desired. Uh, knowledge, but nonetheless, this idea still exists. It's very ephemeral, and it exists somewhere in as an ideal, so to say, that is far removed uh, from what is happening on the ground. For many of the regular Turks, uh, Central Asia and the idea of Turkicness is not something that they uh, they would agree with it, but it's not it's not something that they know. It's not present in their everyday life. So to me, I, I I agree that it it's it's a very it's an ideal that potentially attracts. It's a very attractive ideal, uh, but whether or not it, it has the possibility of uh, being real uh, remains a big question. And I think here we we are we need to talk about a very long distance between the ideal and the reality.
2: Yes, yes, I agree with that. It's the same in Kazakhstan. I mean, in general, if we look for the brother. In a political way, it's it's clear. But when we come to this idea of uh, Turan and this uh, pan-Turkic, uh, I don't know, union, it's very, very far away from now. Because even in Kazakhstan, people don't understand what is it and what, what Turan is and uh, how we are, I mean, really connected uh, yeah, if we say about politics, about uh, protection, about defense, about e- economy, about uh, pipelines, it's, it's clear. But the other side is very, as, as you said, ephemeral. Uh, Mukhtar, for the benefit of our audience, who might not be familiar with the term Turan. Could you explain that a little bit? Turan is a uh, concept that uh, has a very big, uh, thick roots it's uh, it's a concept of uh, unity of turkic nations with a center somewhere in southern kazakhstan and uh, with the idea that uh, we all are equal we all are uh, people of uh, turkic nation
0: okay great thank you so i'm going to get back to you and and this is this question is in no way meant to deprive the, any of the central asian states of, of their agency uh, but but From the Turkish point of view, uh, you know, it's obvious that that President Erdogan has been trying to build something of like a new Ottoman Empire, right? You know, that he Mm -hmm. wants Turkey to be recognized as a great international player uh, at the moment. So is is his policy towards Central Asia with that kind of in mind? Uh, Or also, um, there's, I've heard suggestions too, that Uh, you know, on the grand chessboard of international politics that he can't do much to influence what's happening in the northern part of the Black Sea. Obviously, he doesn't want to see the borders of the Black Sea realigned again. Uh, And it's unclear what's going to happen with Ukraine and Russia. So uh, unable to make a move there, he's making a move into Central Asia, which has traditionally been looked at as, you know, I mean, people have made that unfortunate comment about it being Russia's backyard, but certainly Russia has a huge amount of influence. So is this uh, he's you know, how do you see this? Is this part of his scheme of, of a greater, you know, of the great Turkish country? Uh, is it or is it a counter move against Russia or is it both?
1: Well, I think President Erdogan is very opportunist. And we have seen this, uh, obviously, in his, for example, policies in Syria. Uh, we have seen this uh, in uh, um, in in his Relations with the EU, for example, where uh, Erdogan uses uh, blackmail and uh, the threat of migrants, uh, releasing migrants back to Europe and so on. Um, and he uses it as a tool and, and a political weapon. In the, the present, uh, I think in, in the present situation, in the present context, uh, he sees the opportunities both in Caucasus and in Central Asia where Russia can no longer deliver. And he can actually step in and use, by using his um, regional status, let's say, um, regional capabilities, um, he can potentially step in and be an alternative mediator or arbitrator or alternative party in the conflict between, for example, Armenia and Azerbaijan. He can be uh, also an alternative party, for example, for in, in relations with, um, Uh, between Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. And he is doing this in an opportunist way. uh, And the reason why I say that, because he is willing to um, not only support, so to say, the brothers, (laughs) but also uh, he's willing to make a sale. He is willing to make a sale of weapons. For example, we've known this uh, very famous drone diplomacy where Turkey has um, delivered um, drones to multiple countries in the region, and they've used, actually, uh, these drones in in conflicts between each other. Um, So uh, Erdogan's policies, uh, in that sense, uh, coated, let's say, in the rhetoric of uh, Turkicness, in the rhetoric of brotherhood, um, uh, but the uh, majority of activities are actually aimed at uh, exploring the possibilities of influence, exploring the the economic possibilities, as well as the military sale.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Can I can I continue? Yeah, please. Yes. Well, l- let me start from the uh, anecdotal, as I said. Uh, the the conversation. There was a visit of Tokayev to Turkey, and we had a discussion with uh, one of the one of my colleagues in Turkey. And I said that yeah, Erdogan called uh, Tokayev his brother, and he will help. Him, and he said. Oh, he says this to everybody who, who visits Turkey and he says, you're my brother and I'll help you and that's something like that. And it's, it's, it's uh, like confirms uh, what Asel already said is that from my understanding, from, from what we have been publishing in our media is that um, uh, Turk- Kazakhstan, uh, not Kazakhstan, but Central Asia in general is one of the baskets in there turkey's geopolitical perspective in eurasian continent let's say and from what turkey is doing since the start of this war so what kind of um political games turkey is playing with uh, with nato with uh, the united states with russia trying to be mediator somewhere trying to be a uh, big brother and gaining, as you said this uh uh, opportunities in the military and in, in other stuff so it's it's just a part of the this very big uh, geopolitical game and geopolitical chance for turkey to gain to to use this uh, chance for the sake of its geopolitical interests and uh, this uh, turkiness this pan-turkism is uh, like one of the uh, factors that help
0: Okay. Uh, thank you very much. You know, and we have reached a halfway point in our broadcast at the moment. So it's time for me to remind that this is the East podcast, Radio europe Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I am Bruce Panier, host of the East and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. We're talking about growing Turkish-Central Asian relations and discussing this topic with me are Mukhtar Singirbay, managing editor at RFARL's Kazakh service, known locally as Azatik and Asel Tutumlu, a lecturer at the Department of International Relations and Political Science at the Near East University in Nicosia. Let's get down to some of the the infrastructure, you know, down to the ground level of what's happening. Uh, Asel, you know, now that the Russian route has kind of been questioned, been disrupted, coming out of Central Asia, and this affects not only Central Asia, of course, but China, a lot of effort's been going into getting goods between China and Europe through Turkey, as I mentioned at the start of the show, can you take us through what what are some of the new developments in uh, in the trade routes connecting Turkey to Central Asia uh, and China?
1: Sure. So basically, the conventional route of uh, goods that would travel um, from China to Europe uh, using, so to say, the north route uh, would take uh, approximately thirty to sometimes sixty days, depending on the weather. And uh, overall, uh, it's a, it's a much bigger in distance. Um, the same thing goes for the maritime route because, again, goods uh, have to travel large distances before they actually reach Europe from East Asia. Whereas, uh, right now, the rail corridor that has been established is capable of transporting hundreds and thousands of containers using the rail link uh, from China through Central Asian states, uh, through the Caspian Sea, Caucasus, Turkey, and uh, goes on to uh, goes on to onto Europe, and that particular route uh, has actually saved tremendous amount of time. In thirteen days, uh, sometimes in uh, eighteen days, uh, but uh, in thirteen days, containers can actually reach from China. Uh, they can reach Europe. Uh, so that saves not only the uh, time, but also logistically, it's much. It becomes much cheaper. And in addition to this now, uh, we are expecting to see in uh, sometime in spring 2023, another connection, rail connection that will be coming from Uzbekistan and will be added uh, basically to the existing railway system. Uh, so that means that Central Asian states can actually be And that uh, rail connection from Uzbekistan is also connected with Kyrgyzstan. So uh, that means that we are going to see uh, more and more Central Asian states are actually linked to this transnational corridor. Some uh, may actually... Look at it from the perspective of Belt and Road, because again, strategic uh, rail, st- uh, rail, in general, railroads strategic assets, uh, but uh, it's uh, not only part of the Belt and Road. Uh, some parts were actually uh, existed before. Some parts were newly built by the uh, governments themselves. Uh, so this particular corridor is going to offer saving of time, costs, and uh, the easy, uh, the logistic, the ease, uh, logistics in general.
0: Very good. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, Mukhtar, um, get back to you on on this point too, because uh, you know Kazakhstan earlier in the year um, when they were having problems using the Novorossiysk port, uh, to, President Takayev said that you guys we have to come up with some new routes. We have to have new plans. They're they're working on, I believe, a third railway, major railway to connect China to. Uh, to the, actually the Caspian Sea uh, once they finish the Bhakti-Ayagoz railway line. And, and I know that they've been doing port work. Can you talk about how much of the work since President Takayev ordered them, the government to find new routes, how much of that effort has gone into these routes that lead to Turkey?
2: Uh, yeah, it was stated. It was officially stated that diversification of the routes are important. But uh, it's not the... Uh, Case of uh, several years, right? Several, several months, and it's a very long process. And I haven't seen any developments. I mean, the uh, developments that uh, could say that, yeah, we are working on this position, on this direction. Yeah, every the the, the uh, fields that have been that have used the uh, Russian pipeline, they waited for a long time. For the restoration of this uh, KTK pipeline, and then uh, when the uh, problem is more or less solved, uh, these diversification uh, promises became not actual. But so we have been using this uh, the roads uh, for a long time. It's uh, it was reliable. It's now the only source, only like major source of exporting the uh, oil. But the, uh, the Baku Belize Jehan, for example, and the other routes, as uh, Asel mentioned, uh, they, are, they are important. They know that it's important, but it's, uh, it takes a long time for, for them to, to plan. And especially here, uh, we can see how important the role of China and uh, China might be interested more in developing it faster.
1: Can I also add here,
2: Yeah, please,
1: go ahead. Um, Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, actually for uh, Turkey as well, I mean, uh, Turkey has a very elaborate uh, system of uh, gas pipelines, for example. And um, uh, what's important to note is that Turkey also suffers from Russian blackmail. Uh, gas blackmail. So at times uh, when Turkey acts in a way that's not necessarily conducive, for example, to Putin's idea or vision about how Turkey should act, um, frequently we have, for example, uh, gas suspensions. So just recently in the Blue Stream, the Blue Stream was closed for 10 days. And again, just on a two-day uh, notice. Uh, so suspending 60% of uh, Russian gas to Turkey. And the same thing was uh, done for TurkStream, but that can also be suspended because Russia is afraid of uh, some uh, terrorist uh, activities, for example. It, and it can easily accuse um, Turkey not necessarily providing adequate uh, security uh, to this infrastructure. And so that's why it's, it's a very volatile actually it's it's a very volatile system so that turkey is also interested in acquiring alternative ways of providing uh, natural gas. Uh, and if it is from Tanap pipeline, for example, which is uh, relatively safe because it totally bypasses Russia, so be it. Uh, but uh, again, in general, I think the issue of hydrocarbons uh, are very, I mean, Turkey remains very vulnerable to to the whole issue of uh, delivery and supply of stable supply of hydrocarbons into domestic markets.
0: Okay, this is a good point, you know, and, and, and I just thought of something. So let me get back to Mukhtar for just one second. Mukhtar, can you tell me a little bit about the role of the Batumi port? Because we talked about Nova Rasis, but why hasn't Kazakhstan opened up? It owns the Batumi port. How, has it been expanding its operations through that that port? Well, you know, while we're waiting for for Mukhtar to come back, I guess he dropped for a second. So, you got any thoughts on that? Have you seen any action at the Batumi port?
1: No, actually, I I haven't. So that's why I'm also interested in what uh, Mukhtar has to say about it. Um, uh, but again, Tokayev, I think, recently announced as well uh, the modernization of infrastructure, uh, particularly the uh, uh, the dry ports uh, in, on the Caspian Sea, in order to again get alternative supply chains uh, from uh, Central Asia to the international markets. Um, so there is a very strong realization that actually we do need to get out of this dominance between Russia and China, um, and we can only do that when we basically have the control over infrastructure. And that that particular control is difficult because uh, the railways uh, have been, let's say, operated or uh, under control of uh, Nazarbayev's family. And uh, Kazakhstan, for example, faces a tremendous shortage of uh, uh, wagons, uh, which are, for some reason, uh, half of them are actually in uh, Russia. So, um, with this said, I think uh, for Tokayev there is a very strong realization that there is a mess that we are facing, and in this situation, uh, a stronger action and a stronger control over infrastructure, over supply chains, uh, uh, is necessary and needed.
0: Okay. Uh, well, since while we're waiting for Mukhtar to rejoin us again, I was the question I was going to ask you was the role of Azerbaijan and Ilham Aliyev. Actually, uh, you know, we, this is about Central Asia, but, uh, you know, if you're going to get anything from Central Asia to, to Turkey, you, you know, unless you're going to go the Iranian route, uh, you're inevitably, you're going to run into Azerbaijan. You know, and I, I was going to mention, and, and President Aliyev's role, personally, he's also been to Central Asia a couple times this year, uh, mm-hmm. which is unusual for him. And Central Asian leaders of Takayev was there at the end of August, I believe, also. Um, so you could talk about Azerbaijan's role and, and Aliyev also. Is he... Is he functioning as a middleman for Erdogan in Central Asia, or uh, on some level, or is this all on his own initiative?
1: I think there is overall understanding. I think there is an overall understanding that uh, we are all in the same boat. And for Ali, if especially, he's been feeling not necessarily vulnerable, but at least uh, there is uh, on 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 part of a, a Azerbaijani government, uh, uh, there is a, a kind of. A, unstable and uncertain situation in which, on one hand, uh, Russia is uh, involved uh, or unleashed the war against Ukraine and therefore does not necessarily support adequately the uh, army stability in uh, the conflict with Armenia, you also have the proposals that are given by Turkey, and you also have a changing situation in the Armenian and Iranian relations. And so I think for for Ali, there was a very uh, strong kind of desire to at least have certainty uh with certain neighbors with central asian states have the desire and uh, to have certainty uh regarding russia regarding turkey regarding uh the nature again of the supply chains um and uh, uh i think it's a great realization that we need to be moving together so i don't necessarily see uh Alif as a as a middleman for turkey uh, on the contrary, I feel like there is a, a growing regional connection and a regional need to cooperate and regional need to constantly, uh, to constantly match uh, each other's policies, uh, responses uh, in a very highly volatile situation.
0: Great. Thank you very much. And hello, Mukhtar. Welcome back. Mukhtar, I have a question for you. We, you, we talked about the Novorossiysk port and the problems there, but Kazakhstan owns Georgia's Black Sea port of Batumi. Have they done anything to expand operations at that port?
2: Uh, hi, I'm sorry. Yeah, there was an interruption in my internet. I haven't seen any developments. I mean, it it was not officially said that uh, there is uh, there is a development in that direction. So okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna
0: uh, ask you a follow up then on that because, of course, Kazakhstan has been talking about um, shipping oil, more oil through Azerbaijan uh, uh, recently. A lot of it was on cargo vessels uh, tankers uh, but but also this this subject of the interconnector pipeline, which is an old old project a like twenty year old project has come up. How much a discussion is there of that and and also on terms of the caspian sea fleet uh, what's
2: Kazakhstan's tanker fleet look like at the moment? How much
0: do you have any idea how much oil it can move across the caspian
2: uh, there was there was an information when the uh, russian pipeline was uh, stopped for a while for technical reasons and it happened several times uh, there was a discussion there was uh, there were there were statements that the other roads would be used and would be developed there were promises but as i said uh, when russian pipeline was restored the, it was a solution of the problem for a moment and uh, the others uh, left as as before i mean there was no, uh, there was not a f- real discussion, real development in this direction.
0: Hmm. So they haven't done much, uh, even though they, they see the problem. Okay, well we're getting close to the end of time, so I'm going to ask you both if you could give me uh, your thoughts on where Turkish Central Asian relations are headed. Or, or Mukhtar, if you want to speak just specifically about Kazakh Turkish relations, that's okay too. But um, and so I'll start with you, Mukhtar. What what do you see happening? You know, obviously the relationship is going much better than it has been in a long time. A lot of progress, a lot of momentum behind it. What are you looking for going in 2023 from Turkish Central Asian relations?
2: Yeah, as we discussed before, this is a chance, a real chance for uh, Turkey to gain more from the Central Asian countries. And it's been using this momentum. And we, we are not aware, we don't know how long this war is gonna last. And what will be the result? And everything will depend on the uh, outcome of this war. If the war, uh, the outcome will be, will be not in favor of Russia, then of course, this will help uh, the Turkic states uh, become more interconnected. But I think uh, the most, the, uh, the, the biggest part of this relationship will be mostly economic. As we can see from this interruption in this um, chain through Russia, uh, all the Central Asian countries are looking for other ways. And there is a China, a big market. And, uh, and we are in the middle of this European, let's say this Mediterranean uh, and the Asian part. And this makes us a bridge between China and Turkey. And this is a moment for Turkic states to use this opportunity for the sake of uh, unity. But in terms of the other sides, like let's say the, the um, for example, the alphabet. Alphabet is one of the biggest questions in Kazakhstan. Have been discussed before, and this kind of pan-Turkic side of it. I mean the political side of it. It's uh, it remains more and more predictable, let's say it will depend on the political developments, most of all, first of all, geopolitical developments. Great, thank you, Mukhtar
0: uh, and Asel. Uh, also, how, what do you how do you see Turkish Central Asian relations in twenty twenty three And I'm going to throw in too, because since Mukhtar brought it up, uh, does it is it make a difference that China will probably be supporting ex- expansion of routes?
1: Through uh, Central okay, Earth. so could be so let, let me just uh, start with the uh, with the idea that i definitely see that the energy exports are going to be on the agenda rather than trade relations uh, i think erdogan was pushing for 10 billion dollars uh, of uh, trade, a mutual trade, but uh, from $5 uh, billion in the, uh, today. Uh, but I think it is very much unrealistic. Um, so we will probably get transit fees, uh, but uh, I'm not sure that our exports, uh, import operations and trade turnover in general would actually reach that uh, desired $10 billion. Uh, But in terms of energy exports, yes, for sure, there will be some, I, I can see that there will be some uh, decisions, uh, strategic decisions done, may not necessarily be related to 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 a commitment to a full ta- full pipeline but nonetheless uh, some kind of transportation uh, routes that bypasses uh, Russia and all of that would be introduced uh, under stronger instit- institutionalized auspices of the organization of turkic states that uh, i do see will probably acquire additional functions uh, such as uh, potentially economic cooperation military cooperation so that uh, Turkey continues to uh, supply Central Asian states with some of its uh, uh, military and weapon uh, some of its weapons including drones uh, that as it as it did before and um, in addition I also see the the fact that this uh, particular Turkic union is going to to be a union where the local, authoritarian leaders meet and decide. So it's a, it's a very kind of, it's a club rather than an organization where um, rulers who pretty much dominate over same type of political system and economic structure uh, come together to decide what to do uh, and how to safeguard not only their domestic legitimacy, uh, but also ease the uh, transnational opportunities for through. Cooperation. So and, and the, the the reason why I say that is uh, because of uh, recent Erdogan's policies towards domestic opposition. Uh, if you remember, he uh, the high court issued um, and accused uh, the governor of uh, Istanbul, Ekrem Imamoglu, in uh, violating the dignity, so to say, of the high court judges. And uh, also another case that is also on the agenda is uh, the closure of uh, HDP, HDP party, the pro-Kurdish party and its accusations in supporting terrorism. Uh, so Turkey is moving towards, uh, you know, to a club uh, of uh, authoritarian leaders in the post-Soviet states. Uh, its uh, politics is becoming much more, uh, it is much becoming similar. And uh it it provides opportunity. It ease, it eases, so to say, activities and uh, cooperation, uh, because you actually have the like-minded uh, people around you. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't. It's not necessarily good for the for the future of uh, political transformation towards accountability, transparency, democracy, uh, representation, and so on. So uh, that's I think where the the future is headed, at least in two thousand twenty three.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, and we have reached the end of the show. So a big thank you to asel and Mukhtar for joining me. Thank in you, discussing-
1: for inviting us. Uh,
0: and, and of course, a thank you thank to you. Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjly's podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjly's podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting RFARL's website at RFARL.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye, everybody.